Hello, hello, and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn how to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Lori, and this show isn't just about movement and nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your mental and physical health and well-being. It's also about stress management, mindset, shedding those limiting beliefs, and working through some of that childhood trauma while you're at it. Today, I'm joined by Jackie Clark. Jackie's passion for financial management was evident from a young age as she meticulously handled customer bookings for her family's plumbing business at just 10 years old. Inspired by her grandparents' building business and their treasure trove of business secrets, she recognized the importance of being detail-orientated in business and the need for an accountant. At 14, she embarked on her journey into the working world, driven by her love for organizing and preserving wealth. Her diverse work experiences from cafes to accounting firms shaped her into a well-rounded professional. Rising through the ranks at a big four firm, Jackie challenged conventions and carved a niche in personal tax and accounting advice. With three decades of success, she co-founded Maxima Private, specializing in wealth management through their virtual family office program. As a trusted advisor to Australia's wealthiest families, Jackie simplifies financial complexities, providing clarity and guidance. In 2023, she shares her expertise in her book, Stop Worrying About Money, drawing from her 30 years of helping people manage their finances. Her mission's clear, everyone needs an accountant, and Jackie is here to fulfill that need. And Jackie is here today. How are you? Woohoo. Thanks, Laurie. I'm really excited to be here. And thanks for the great interview. No worries. I'm so stoked to have you here because we speak about like getting your goals without burning out. And the foundation of that is stress management. And we've never had a financial expert on the show. Hello, where does stress come from? Money (laughs) sometimes. Exactly. You know, spot on. You go. Oh, and I love that your book title is so aligned. Stop worrying about money. And that's what we want to teach people to do. You know, it's a really uh, important point and I think there's a lot to be said for the impact that financial stress has on us and drives so many decisions that I think really influence the stress that people carry with them. So I'm here to help people stop worrying about it. (laughs) That's so awesome. You know, we kind of alluded to it in your intro a little bit, but I always start the podcast because I like to understand the context as to why people got started. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, why you decided to help people in this very specific way? Oh, certainly. And and look, Laurie, it is from all those years of experience. Along the way, doing this professionally is one thing, but actually the more you talk about it, people naturally tap you on the shoulder or pull you aside and say, hey, this has happened or, you know, I'm I'm getting divorced or I've had, I've been made redundant or um, somebody's died in my family or, look, I'd like to plan a sabbatical. All these things come up along the way when people realise or recognise that you can actually help them financially. And so I got a lot of joy from really helping people out and often helping people in need. So where this really came from for me was certainly in my transition from my executive career um, at Deloitte at the end of 2019 was how can I put all my money wisdom into one place to just share with more people? Because at at the end of the day, there's only we've only got so much capacity and I just really wanted to be able to support more people. And I think that I've captured it well in my book, sort of take people on that journey to get their house in order. 
I love that. And I really resonate that as well. Like a bit of a personal story. I actually grew up on Centrelink. So, you know, I grew up from really low income and I think that it's really unfair that a lot of, I, I love the internet because I think that it's so unfair that it seems to be wealthy people that had all this access to all this information, but then people like you come along and it's like, Hey, yeah, it does cost money to work, work in this way, but here's a book that costs however much it costs to give you access to kind of get out of it, which I think is super cool. Actually, you raise a really important point too. One of the things I do start with is trying to understand people's money story, right? Which is the habits or behaviours that you've either captured from your parents. So if you grew up in a household where there was Centrelink or government benefits coming in, then you may have um, been used to that sort of scarcity mindset and you might have done one of two things as an adult. You might have earned your own income and splurged like there's no tomorrow or on the contrary, you might be the saver who's sort of kept every cent once you've got a job. Anyway, these are things that are really important, not unlike yourself. For me, in a working class family, uh, I was used to, I had grandparents very conservative around money having come from the depression um, where they, you know, I joke about, I don't joke about it, actually, my grandmother saved the cornflakes packet to write notes on, you know, so I've come from that. doesn't mean that I adopted all those behaviours, but I recognise things like, um, you know, having leftovers for dinner the next night, not Mm. Uber Eats, for example, even though my kids would probably prefer the Uber Eats option. So there's all these things that influence um, how we spend and save as well. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And a lot of people kind of say like, as you earn more, you kind of spend more. I'd love to dive into those money stories a little bit more, to be honest, because I feel like it's similar with the whole reason we started the Holistic Fitness Podcast is like, it's a lot about the stories you're telling yourself and a lot about those limiting beliefs. Because I think we logically, we logically know, at least with finances, to invest some and to not spend more than what you earn. So like, what are those stories we're telling ourselves to not do those things? And, and actually, I love how you say it's logical, but it it actually isn't. Yeah. And, and let's just think about it in the context of stress and a treadmill. And I think people get on a treadmill, which is like uh, this concept of expense creep. So naturally what's happening is as people earn more money, they tend to spend more and it's incremental. So instead of putting every cent over what you earned 10 years ago away, you're spending more of it and it might be another, like it's a Netflix or a Stan subscription or a Paramount, whatever it is. That's kind of how it starts. So I think the big challenge is to, and I I put it out to people, you know, remember how you lived as a student (laughs) Mm. and you think about uh, the best analogy I can think of is the type of wine that I used to drink. So when I was a young adult, uh, it would be maybe, I don't know, a $4.95 bottle of Lambrusco or something crazy like that. Um, some people talk about cask wine. I don't think I actually was in the era of cask wine. No um, fruity Lexia. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but like it was West Coast Coolers and random things like that when I was growing up. Anyway, showing my age very quickly. But then how do you progress? And then in now um, it's, is it a $20 bottle of wine? Is it a $35 bottle of wine? And so on. You go to a restaurant, it's an $80 bottle of wine. All these things happen. And I think that's really consistent with all of the choices that we're making around money in the absence of a financial goal. 
Mm. And really where we want to bring people back to is set those financial goals so that you actually sort of set boundaries on yourself. Otherwise, why not? Sky's the limit. I'm earning this great income. I've worked hard for this. Why can't I spend it, right? Yeah. So what I'm hearing is, is that if you don't set this financial goal, what you'll go and do is you'll just spend willy nilly like no one's business and kind of not keep track on it as long as you're kind of meeting your bills, ideally. So you go from like that, that 10, you know, $5 a passion pop or whatever to some <laughs> fancy like $50 bottle of wine. And that actually relates to me because I was a, what do they call them? Goon sack. We used to have like Goon of oh, Fortune yeah. and stuff like that when I was in college. And yes. now like I remember going to a, 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 a restaurant the other day and I was so surprised how cheap the wine was and it was $25. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a really nice bottle of wine for $25. Yeah, 18-year-old Laurie would be like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you think yeah. you're being Yeah, so how do you go about setting these goals proactively so you don't get caught in that expense creep? Yeah, look, I, I love that question. I think the most important thing I talk about within your means goals because it's easy to also set unrealistic financial goals you can't do any of this without really understanding what your what I call them open your front door costs are. So mm. the first thing you actually need to do is, and it's a back of the envelope job, it's not a major exercise, is to work out how much is outgoing every month from your house. And I'm talking about every cost to open the front door. So electricity, um, council rates, um, water, gas, whatever it is you're paying for, your subscriptions, your health insurance, uh, internet services, if it's rent or mortgage payments, like all those things, you need to first understand your baseline mm. before you can then say, well, then if I have a, how do I create a goal out of this? Because very quickly you might realize that that adds up to your income <laughs> and you've yes. got a problem because there's no bandwidth or space for you to then set so the goal then becomes, well, how do I create a buffer, like a savings buffer? How do I ever invest if I've got all of my income tied in? Now, I mean, there's been a lot of pressure on everyone globally now in the context of interest rates. So they have yeah. really massively to, you know, what we might call disposable income, but also your discretionary spending. So that may have crunched. But I think the question you ask people is, well, what did you change? And people might say nothing there was just less money there right because they're living sort of as it comes which is not yes. the way you want to add it you want to be proactive and understand what these costs are to open your front door and that's what I call like the back of the envelope job where you write it all down on a bit of paper but then the other costs that we need to contemplate is holidays fun things payment. Yeah. they're all more discretionary than putting food on the table which goes in your open the front door costs so then if you think, well, what do I need to spend to have a nice lifestyle? It's this much. And you divide that, say, over 12 months and add that to your monthly open the front door cost. And then you start to see where the problem might be. And indeed, yes. the really common thing, Laurie, is that people get a bonus mm. already spent. Yes. So I've no done one that before. Me, nobody, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like nobody says to me, I've got a bonus and I put it in the bank. No, no, yes. no, no. People, I invested it. I bought shares or I put it towards my mortgage. That's not what I hear ever, actually. No, it's, it's a holiday. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In fact, people in Australia would typically, you know, book a trip to Fiji or Thailand or something with that or Hawaii with that money. Um, so it's 
yeah, it's really important to understand first where you're at. And that's why mm. connect with your money story, which is understanding are you a spender, are you a saver, that type of thing. So first acknowledge that, then say, I want to make a bit of a change here. Let's understand first what your open the front door costs are. Add to that your total baseline costs, which include all the other fancy stuff. And then we say, well, how do we right size this? And if I don't want to work like this forever, I need to make some changes at my open the front door. Yes. You know, and it can it can be as serious as saying, let's say, you know, there's a bit of keeping up the Joneses sort of mentality in people too. Like you work a particular job, you live in a particular area. Sometimes it can be as serious to say having this fancy house or renting this place, I'm never going to get ahead. I'm going to yes. be doing this forever on this treadmill. I'm locked in. And you think of the compound impact that that has on your stress levels. So you're working with people that maybe aren't fun anymore. You're in an environment that could be toxic, right? Mm-hmm. And you are stuck. So that stress means there's no forgiveness here because you've got this financial commitment. You're on this treadmill to continue to do this unless you do a like-for-like replacement of your income. But we all know that looking for jobs can be hard work and stressful as well. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of people my age as well and probably older and younger that are into the whole like entrepreneurship thing and and moving from a corporate job to being an entrepreneur or moving from a corporate job to your passion project or even just, you you know, you're in one department, let's just say you're an accountant and that now all of a sudden you want to be a social media marketer like that. You may take a hit in salary there. It makes it harder to fulfill your dreams. Oh, yeah. Look, and I am all for people doing those transitions and they I do write about that as well whether it starts as a side hustle and then you transition into it into f- sort of full entrepreneurship but you need to have laser sharp focus on your financial outgoings almost before the income you know to, before the income actually working out what are your costs of living so that you're really clear on where the where the flexibility is or not and what changes you might need to make and I, yeah. and I talk sort of the three biggest money mistakes Laurie and mm-hmm. the first one is wearing and driving your money. What does that yeah. mean? So, so people tend to, it's easier to buy cars and wear nice clothes than it is to invest your money in a house or an, a, an apartment or shares. So people mm-hmm. tend to go for these things because they're what I would call lower hanging fruit. You know, they're easier to get and you can mm-hmm. lease a car. Yeah. And so you can spend little or smaller amounts of money on these types of things. That makes and sense. That, that can be it. And it's a singularly um, big mistake that younger people tend to make because that's naturally where you first go. I can't afford to buy a house, but I can buy a nice car and I can wear nice clothes because that's within your reach. It's all in absence of a greater financial goal, though. And you'll meet some people, and I, I say younger people, all ages make these mistakes. The only difference I would suggest is that when you're younger, you might earn less money than you do as a 30 or 40 or 50-year-old executive. And what's within your reach is a car lease or a high purchase or whatever type of you know um, finance you take. So that's the mm-hmm. first one. The second one is really not actually knowing what your baseline costs are. Yes. And the third one, which is my greatest concern and what I spend a lot of time talking about these days, is people who put their head in the sand altogether. Money comes in. What does that mean? So when you ignore it. So you just don't focus on your finances. You just pretend they're not there. 
Yeah. And a lot of people actually do this because it's it's more comfortable. Yeah. And the fear, that can build up a level of stress and people can worry, but people turn that worry almost into, I don't want to, I don't want to know about it. It's okay. Like if it's not broken, I don't need to fix it. Mm. But where I'm uh, encouraging a lot of people now and where I often get involved is when um, relationships break down, businesses bust, and people haven't either kept an eye on things. And so they've dropped their sort of financial responsibility or they're not necessarily accountable to themselves around money. Mm. And then you're in sort of all sorts of spirals because uh, for us financial literacy is quite low in the US and in Australia. And this comes from people ignoring this, like putting their heads in the sand. You'll find out, and you would know this as a business owner, like your financial literacy grows quite exponentially when you are focused on the performance of your business. Exactly. You do need to do the one plus one. You do need to look at your income and your expenses um, with the same laser focus because you you can't just say, well, the money's coming in, that's great. I can spend how I like. It doesn't work that way. Um, So they're just risks that people need to be aware of. And if you don't focus or pay attention to your finances, they're likely to get away from you. And that is clearly in the absence of a goal. So all these things we talk about in terms of stress, burnout, uh, like the expense creep, it all snowballs. And when things go wrong, it can be particularly bad. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine that root cause. Well, obviously the root cause is is the stories that you tell yourself, but then that results in you putting your head in the sand. You put your head in the sand, your expenses creep up on you. You you realize you're not saving any money, but you've got a good job or, you know, well, I don't want to say good, uh, a high earning job. I shouldn't label that as good. And then all of a sudden you're like, where's my money going? And that's when you get on that treadmill and you're stuck in something maybe you don't want to be doing, maybe you do want to be doing, but I can see how this all kind of goes in its little cycle here. (laughs) And so you really need to focus on how do you combat the expense creep? Yeah. Because in the act of doing that, it's going to be trickier for you to overcome sort of obstacles or setbacks as they occur. And what I'm really focused on is ensuring uh, or helping people with financial independence. Mm. So independence from from partners, but independence from jobs. It's not about not having a job, but it's about how could you survive. And government benefits are one thing, but there's a big gap between there and the average income in the country. And so there's a whole lifestyle missing if you decide to go down that path. So you want to be able to make empowered decisions about money. And the only way to do that is to go back to the start. As you say, acknowledge what you're telling yourself, understand what it costs to open your front door at home, and then you can work out a plan from there. Are you tired of constantly feeling burnt out while trying to achieve your goals? Do you find yourself struggling to maintain motivation and productivity over long periods of time? I'd like to introduce you to the Goal Getting Journal, the ultimate solution for those of you who want to surpass their goals without burning out. Our journal is designed to help you set achievable goals, track your progress, and maintain a healthy work-life balance. With our journal, you'll discover practical strategies for managing stress, staying motivated, and avoiding burnout, including time blocking, habit stacking, and so much more. You'll also learn how to prioritize your tasks and maximize your productivity so you can get more done in less time. 
The Goal-Getting Journal is perfect for anyone who wants to achieve their goals without sacrificing their mental health and well-being. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a student, or just someone who wants to make any positive change in your life, the Goal-Getting Journal can help you stay on track and avoid burnout. And for Holistic Fitness Podcast listeners, you can get 20% off your first journal using the code HF podcast. Go to goalgettingjournal.com and type HF podcast at checkout to get your discount. So what are you waiting for? Order the Goal Getting Journal today and start getting your goals without burning out. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I'm really stuck on this like head in the sand thing. It kind of reminds me of somebody who doesn't jump on the scale and doesn't track their calories And there's Mm. like one side of the coin where people can become way too obsessive and they're way too obsessive with their weight and they're tracking their calories. And I I don't know if you can become too obsessive in your finance, but there are some that just put put their head in the sand as well and and don't want to see it. And my suggestion is like track your calories for a week and then don't um, for a month and then don't touch them because you'll see where they're going. And I feel like maybe in finance, you it's like, all right, there's 600 to Uber Eats. That's what I'm going to focus on first. <laughs> you know, actually, Laurie, it's it's brilliant. It's like the wine. It's a great story and we should, I should take that wherever I go. But if I think about, um, so I've just lost three and a half kilos, which is not a main feat at 50, right? And that was because I did a food diary. Now, wow. if you had to said something, write down everything you eat, I'd be like, so I've done it. And oh my goodness, what a rude awakening actually doing that process it's the same thing and I did I was it wasn't pleasant but it has very quickly cleared up for me where I was going wrong and these are habits that are built over a long time not just over the last you know month same mm. with your expenditure if you actually take that moment to write down what it is what what are the costs of opening your front door and you'll suddenly go which I get what I suggest to people of course is just sit down open go online banking open up your credit card statement just look at the last month look at all the direct debits look at what you're spending start to write a summary down and people start to go oh you know like <laughs> had that weekend weekend away with the girls we went shopping on such and such a day we had um three dinners out in the last month or 10 or more we had uber eats we um yeah, you know, the list goes on. And I'm not, this is not about saying that you can't enjoy these things, but let's look at living within your means. Mm. And I think when you do that, then you'll be in a better position to sort of avoid the traps that we're talking about that come with living beyond your means. Yeah. Once you mm. analyze all of that, though, how do you decide how much you're going to allocate on what? Because I think that we should still live life I believe you can have it all. I believe you can save, but then also live a luxurious life as long as you're not kind of living a luxurious life everywhere. (laughs) So what kind of like strategies would you help someone with to help them like realize where they should be putting their kind of, I guess, splurge money or, or whatever you call it? Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think let's coming back to what I talk about is, and you're a part of this, is the personal finance village. Okay. So you can't do these things on your own or not easily. So it is really good to have great people around you, like coaches, accountants, fitness experts. It's sort of like this group of people. Now I say personal finance village because it's like reversing the model, you know, um, having this group of people around you that act as your sounding board around getting all these decisions right. So I right. couldn't agree more because I think you can live um, – 
a really lovely life. It's a bit less is more, right? Mm. Which is having uh, things a little more simplified and knowing that you've got the financial thing nailed opens you up to a whole lot of freedoms. And we talk about financial freedom. It's a bit of a mindset because actually, and I'm going off a little bit of a tangent, a lot of research shows that richer people are unhappy in respect of their wealth. They want more. Yeah. So we do suffer a little bit from this have more, want more trend, which is like expense creep. It's like the treadmill that goes with work and you have to make a decision, which is why I keep drawing you back to a financial goal. But in reality, this stuff is pretty emotional. And so that's where our personal finance village comes in, which is that group of people or sounding board that can actually sort of keep us on the straight, you know, checking in. Did you do your calories? Is you know, did you weigh in this week? How many calories did you consume? Like with me, um, similarly, how much have you spent on these types of things? And I'm in a situation right now helping. I help uh, people out with who do have a habit of overspending and actually coming back to saying, right, what are the choices we are going to make? So I'll keep you accountable, like you would with one of your clients, keeping them accountable on the commitments that they're making. So. We need to cut or for example, you can have a cleaner come to your home, but mm. maybe it's three hours a week, not seven, because right, right. now that we've got to right size that for your budget, essentially. Mm. So bring you back to that. But it can be all sorts of things. It can be um not that holiday this year, but that holiday. Um, so it so for me, it is around helping you make the choices. Um, you you need somebody you can trust to help you do these things also that's gonna keep you off the emotional side of doing, you know, it's a nice, lots of these things are nice things to do. Do you need all of them is the question. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. That accountability can be a game changer. And I remember reading a financial book once, maybe like four to five years ago, and I did it in conjunction with somebody else. And we had like nights where we wouldn't explain our financial details, but we explained the commitments that we were we were kind of making and we actually both saved quite a bit um, because we always uh, weekly were coming back to each other and sharing those, those wins. So it does add that extra layer of, Oh, need to get it done. (laughs) Yeah. And so the reality was there, you had someone that was keeping you accountable yeah, and you had a goal, right? And I think this is, I think it's really easy to go wildly without a goal. Like if it's working, why do you need to? But you just need to look forward. So you need to say in 10 years from now, and look, make it simple. I do a five-year plan all the time. I've worked with like a rolling five-year plan. So I'm saying, and and what's really intriguing, Laurie, is if you do a five-year plan, you're saying five years' time, these are the types of things I'd like. This is sort of, you know, where family relationships, I'd like them to be financially, where all these things, there is an underlying financial um, element to my five-year plan like Mm. how much I want to be working is directly impacted or vice versa in terms of what's the financial impact. So that might mean where I live, how I live, what I wear, what I don't, you know, all those decisions come into that. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting, but I think that looking out for a five-year plan is a great way to start. And then Mm. you think it back to here and now and say, what are the choices I'm going to make today to achieve that goal? And, you know, it's like, where do you want to be holidaying? What do you want to be wearing? Or do you want to be wearing the same clothes because you're going to become a minimalist? You know, there's all these options. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me of a quote from, I first heard it from Vishen 
Vishen Lakiani on a meditation that I listened to and he goes, we often overestimate what we can do in one year, but we underestimate what we can do in three years. And it sounds like kind of that five-year plan is like, okay, I can do all this in five years, but actually day to day, this is the small step I'm taking or the small habit I'm taking. And I don't know. I don't know why that came to me while you were speaking then, but it sounds a bit like that. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. I think that setting these goals have helped me immensely and just bring so much more clarity. And it really does take the pressure off. Like even talking to you about it now, like you feel your shoulders almost dropping when you think that you've got that goal set. It's like it's it's under control. Like mm. I feel like it's manageable. So you're worrying drops because you've got a bit of a vision. Uh, it actually is it's quite extraordinary. And how you can also, you know, we all have, we all falter. We mm. have the weekend out and we have an extra glass of wine. Um, we miss training for one reason or another, or you have an extra early start, you know, but you just get back on the next day. Uh, yeah. And similarly, mental goals, you just make the decision. Well, you know, let's say it's a special birthday which invariably happens. And so you want to do a particular celebration that's going to put a dent in your savings. Mm. Um, But this is a milestone for me. So therefore uh, we're going to do it this way. And these are the choices we're making and we're okay with that because, you know, the experience that you want to have around that occasion is important to you and will no doubt endure. And we'll look for anything that has an enduring benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, about what you do most of the time, not what you do in that small kind of moment. I'm a bit curious though. I don't know why this got me thinking. I've heard so many different money theories, whether it's like YNAB where you like track every dollar you spend or there's like Barefoot Investor, which I think is like the 60, 20, 10, 10, um, blaming millennials for not getting houses (laughs) because we're eating too much avocado toast. I'm really curious, like, is there any like, beliefs or um methods that you just totally disagree with and you would hate for somebody to be doing (laughs) oh well no what i would like to say is a method of working out how much you're spending is better than no method yeah and so thinking about those different approaches the one i don't subscribe to is the ignore it yes (laughs) Yeah, and I do. A lot of people come to me because they have ignored it. Yeah. So in yeah, so in reality, usually where the problems arise is through ignoring financial outgoings. Um, and so, and, and you know, it comes back. You did ask me a question before. You know, what's the is there a rule of thumb? You know, what do people say? Then I again, I think it just comes back to the goal. You might decide that you're happy to live under a tin shed the rest of your days uh, and security means because for me part of and maybe I didn't I certainly didn't say this at the start but I definitely worried about money which is why this book is so aptly titled so Mm. I was worried about my financial security and that came about for me much later in life so there there is some experience I had maybe when I was younger when a really significant customer of my fathers didn't pay a bill and it was the first time in my life where I sort of heard conversation it was a big impact on the business and it was the first time I'd ever heard a conversation where I thought oh this might actually affect me mm-hmm. um, but then later in life it was when I got divorced in my late 30s early 40s when I sort of had to start again yes. and at that time with a couple of young kids it was 
really stressful and my financial security had just taken this massive hit. You've gone from, you know, essentially like a two income family to a single income family raising three sons. Um, that was quite overwhelming. And so I bunkered in with my job naturally, which is what people do. It was the safest place to throw myself actually at work. Um, but that was when I was sort of really deeply concerned about my financial security. So I did other things then as well, like um, made sure that I had life insurance in place so that if something did happen to me, my kids would be okay. I made sure my will was up to date so that directions mm. were really clear again. So I did little things like that, that just slowly over time ease that anxiety and worry I had about my financial security. And then come to a couple of years ago, and I appreciate um, it, you've got a pretty broad uh, demographic as well. When I was contemplating leaving Deloitte, the first thing I did was um, decide, well, I wanted to, no matter what happened, I wanted to retain my children's education. Mm. So my main goal then was just to save their school fee costs, which are extraordinary here and in the US. Um, if you're going with a private education as opposed to public or government, yeah. And that was my main goal was to have that set aside. So that might not have been um, like a life goal, but what my what I was focused on was the type of education I wanted to provide or continue providing for my kids under whatever circumstance. So, you know, um, these are choices that we have to make and sometimes the little steps add up to the bigger ones as well. Yeah. No, I'm a, I'm sorry that you went through all those experiences, but I'm sure you've made choices that are for the best. And it sounds like you really got it together with regards to your values. And I can't help but listen to you and think like a lot of your choices around money. Um, and I guess why you don't subscribe to any one particular method apart from don't put your head in the sand um, <laughs> is values based. It's like my number one value is my education for my children. By the way, great choice. When I have children, I want to put them in private schooling. Um, not that I did badly, but I think that would have been awesome to have a private schooling. So totally agree with that. But it sounds like a lot of what you do subscribe to is just, these are my values. This is where I'm going to put it away. These are my non-negotiables. Yeah, it's really true, Laurie. And you actually, the other thing you have mentioned, we've touched on a few times, the cheapest value you can have, the one that doesn't cost you money is family. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, and you think back to the times when you were a kid, you know, what are the things that you most fondly remember? And it might be this thing like, for example, when a packet of Tim Tams was able to be purchased, right, oh, and you'd yes. like suck the biscuit almost because it was the mm. one that you were going to get. Um, and I remember moments like that probably because it was a different level of affluence growing up as well. But, you know, mm. when something different came into the pet, pantry at home and you're like oh my god how good is this anyway I've gone off again off a tangent again, no actually, I love this so you get you got me in nostalgia right now <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I'm just thinking about how um uh, and cheap's the wrong word but it doesn't cost you money to look after your relationships and if that's yes. important if that's a value of yours that's something to remember that you can um, nurture without spending a dime uh, and that's important that's you know uh, yes education can be expensive and that's you may I make a sacrifice for an education so it's that versus overseas holidays for everybody every year these are all they're trade-offs right and if you're sitting down in your personal finance village and you've got your accountant there or your financial advisor or Laurie sitting there and you're saying here's my options help yeah. me work through you know it's really valuable to have people that you can trust and talk to about this as well. 
no, that makes total sense. And um, I love that you mentioned relationships as well, because with fitness as well, um, your relationships make the single biggest impact on whether you're going to be successful. So I'll give you an example of like someone trying to lose weight. You've got a toxic husband or a toxic boyfriend that's like, oh no, you look good as you are. Have the Tim Tam. Don't go to the workout. Let's just, it's kind of like you have to deal with your own limiting beliefs, but then you also have to deal with someone that's that's dragging you back. And I'm I'm really curious. I know that like, I don't know, a lot of divorce rates is because of money, right? Like yeah, what sort rate. of, is it the main reason? I thought it was the main reason. Yeah. Yes, Can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah. Well, look, what I, I write about financial. Let's talk about financial infidelity first. All right. Something, yeah. So this is something that um, is really quite a serious issue in in Australia and the US in particular, um, where in relationships, people tend to be secretive about money. So I'm all for having open dining table conversations about money in your household. The more you talk about it, the more people learn. With younger people as well, you're building up their financial literacy, having these conversations. So starting with a conversation about money in your home is great. It's not unusual for people in relationships also to have somebody be the money manager and somebody like like totally check out of that realm I am when you want to talk about what I subscribe to I subscribe to joint accountability around financial management in a household yes yet what I don't subscribe to is the trap that most people fall into which is delegating financial responsibility to somebody else in their household Mm -hmm. that comes with so much risk and even if you're in the most loving caring relationship it can still come with a whole lot of risk Mm. So financial infidelity is somewhat different. It's where you don't talk about money and people keep secrets such as extra bank accounts, additional credit cards, and it can grow financial infidelity. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit like breaking a seal on anything. Um, For, you know, the classic one is spending without having a conversation. So let's say you've set a goal that you want to pay the mortgage off or you want to go on a holiday. And then you keep looking at the bank account. There's all this money going out to Amazon or wherever. It doesn't matter. It could be tennis, tennis, uh, golf clubs, tennis rackets, you know, pickleball bats, whatever it is. And all these things happening or packages arriving at the front door, shoes, uh, clothes, different things in the wardrobe. All of this starts, can actually grow. And financial infidelity comes in so many different forms, including things like gambling. Gambling addiction mm. is a really serious problem um, that that is so easy to do now on just about any subject matter you consider worth betting on. Uh, you know, yeah. outcomes, you know, sport, but it's not limited to sport at all anymore. So these are all risks that uh, tend to increase over a period of time. And if you don't nip financial infidelity in the bud, it can grow and become very ugly, and it can cause more serious things like the bank turning up and saying uh, you haven't made your payments we're going to foreclose on you and here's your credit card debt and you're there with you didn't know about that credit card debt because your spouse has got their own card and they haven't been able to make the repayments because you've got other financial commitments so these things are actually relatively common and yes it's one of the many reasons why relationships break down because people are secretive um or worse um quite, can be quite destructive with how they spend money without a conversation yeah so yeah. that's a pretty serious uh aspect to getting it right in relationships and you can have a mismatch 
in styles when it comes to money. If you're in a relationship, somebody comes from a different background, they might either, la, 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 I don't want to talk about money stuff or it should be right, everything's fine. Um, that's one approach, but I, it just comes with risk. And yeah. it might not be today and everything might be going swimmingly. It's just when you get off track, you have a setback, someone uh you, you let's say you have a mental health crisis and you're you're out of work let's say you got bullied at work and you're out of work for months and there's a period of time where insurance might cover that and then there's a period of time where it doesn't and who's paying the mortgage and what if you haven't talked about it and what if your spending is so big what happens oh we got to sell the house you know like sort of disaster planning but it can happen it does happen often yeah uh, no and People, um, there are other serious issues around suicide when people can't handle the debt that they've created. Yikes. So, yeah, yeah, frightening um, consequences of these things running amok. Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals. And sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goal-getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full-spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to, uh, to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's products are... All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. Ned is providing Holistic Fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give Ned a try, listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code Lori Lee, L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. Yeah, and... And I can imagine being in a relationship and, well, actually, I can't can't imagine because I've actually been in it. I actually feel quite validated from this conversation because I had an ex who actually hid about 60 grand worth of debt from me. And yeah. um, we were talking about saving for a house. They mentioned how much savings they had. Luckily, I'd not been in a relationship with them for, you know, that long. We weren't married. Um, and I remember like at the time, because it was due to a problem that they had and I didn't share many with many people what the problem was because that's their story. 
But um, yeah. I remember people being like, oh, no, nah, it's, it's not like he cheated on you. And it's like, then how can I feel cheated on? I feel like yeah. I've been lied to for one and a half years. And it honestly felt like I've never been cheated on, but I imagine it's what it feels like being cheated yeah. on. Absolutely. Financial infidelity, your partner spending money on another card or another bank account without telling you, it's, if you're absolutely being cheated on. Make no mistake. Yeah. It's, it's, the only difference is if you bring it, if you're able to turn it around, it's a bit different if someone cheats on you with some a person, but in financial infidelity, you can address it. Like if someone has a problem with spending, you can bring it to the table and try and address it. You can at least work on it, I think. Sometimes people just need input on these things, yeah. like hang on, do this, or they need some type of guidance. It's like that movie, um, that shopaholic one where I think it's Isla, Isla Fisher. Yes, she, Isla Fisher's in it, yeah. yeah she <laughs> She's got all those credit cards. cards. Yeah, it's the same thing. You know, some people, she needed help. Um, yes. But sometimes you need to shut down all the options for these people. So that, and, and as your spouse or partner, you might choose to do that to help. Uh, but yeah. otherwise, it can feel horrific and worse, like you say. They call it sexually transmitted debt, Laurie. So that's oh what my I would goodness. call the STD. Yes. Um, yeah. I would call. I wasn't that forgiving. I was like, you know what? I'm getting out before we're married. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. But yes. um, now I'm pretty like, I like having joint cards and I, I, it's really important to me like to talk about things and to talk about what would happen if one person got laid off and stuff like that. You're like, I'm happy to 100% provide for my man as long as they're happy to 100% provide for me in return. And I don't know that I don't know. I guess you're the expert. What's your guidance for new couples getting into relationships to kind of ensure that they don't get into these problems? Um, great question. And look, I think it's really good to have, have a conversation about money. There is research that would show that joint bank accounts actually breed success in relationships over um, individual or single bank accounts. So wow. even going down that path and and let's be fair like you when you're in a relationship it's serious it takes time you don't want to merge your finances immediately I don't think that's right I think you need to understand what are what is the money story behind um, my partner getting to know how that works I think it's nice to share costs up to a point and when you decided you want to progress to a joint bank account scenario and joint commitments to all sorts of things then I think that's a good idea Go in with your eyes wide open, though. If you see any potential risks there, um, you need to nip them in the bud as quickly as possible. And, of course, if you're going into a relationship as an adult who's established some wealth themselves, mm. in Australia you should contemplate things like a prenup agreement. They do still work. They go in and out of fashion. They do work in the US as well. But if you're coming, if you own your own apartment or you've got some equity in your apartment, things like that, you should really contemplate having a prenup. It's actually worth getting the advice. And it's not, um, it shouldn't be considered offensive. It's just saying we're coming into this relationship. I'm coming in with this much, perhaps more than you. I just want to preserve that. It's not suggesting the relationship is going to break down. It just saves a whole lot of angst and heartache down the track when or for example if a family member's died and gave you some money and there's no reason for your new partner to share in that history at all a prenup's a way of just setting a new baseline that we come together and what we build together we share in the ways that the courts or we decide down the track but this bit here 
needs to be carved out. And and naturally, working in the space I do with wealthy families, often people marrying into those families, we need to pre- preserve the bloodline wealth of the family. So yeah, I do find that people inquire a lot about prenups. And it makes total sense as well. I think what a lot of people don't realize about prenups is it's not saying hey, what we build together isn't yours. It's the exact opposite. It's like what we built before we met each other is ours and what we build together is ours, whether I'm 100% employed and you're zero and we swap or we're 50-50, no matter what, all of that's ours, which I think is quite beautiful. But we've all got lives before we met people. Yeah, I think it's being respectful about the past. Yeah. Carving it out, essentially, we all want to do that. I think you want to move forward in that relationship. So... But yeah, getting those money uh, habits down pat early, I think committing to plans with a partner is great too, because as I say, naturally, there's this really strong financial underlying um, goal, if you like, in any plan that you make. Even if it's a fitness goal, you still got commitments to um, fitness coaches and um, gym memberships, or in my case, a Peloton, like it all adds (laughs) up. You need to know what's your commitment to that. Um, if you want to be super fit by a certain stage, it's going to cost money. So how do you, how's that work? Yeah, absolutely. We've spoken about a lot, Jackie. We've spoken about relationships when we've spoken yeah. about relationship infidelity, infidelity. We've spoken about our money stories, you know, the treadmill and, and expense creep. Is there anything that we haven't spoken about in this podcast before we close out that you really wanted to share with the listeners? oh, look, I should just reiterate that being financially accountable is critical to everyone Mm -hmm. and you will gain great financial independence from being accountable. So don't put your head in the sand, please. I love that. (laughs) Don't put your head in the sand. Yeah, that's so amazing. I've really enjoyed listening to you, Jackie, and I've learned a lot from you personally and and just enjoyed sharing stories with you. Sure, there's like plenty of other people that have listened to this and want to get in touch with you. So how can folks buy a book, get in touch with you and all of that fun stuff? Oh, absolutely. So my website is JackieClark.me or www.JackieClark.me. But you can buy the book Barnes & Noble online, Amazon, Booktopia, you can go into a good bookstore as well. So yes, please, um, please, by all means, buy the book. That would be awesome. That's awesome. Um, Instagram, I, LinkedIn, you name it. You'll find all it the there. things I'll have to, yeah. um, you'll see it all in the show notes, but as a clerk myself, I will have to say that Jackie is Clark with an E just in case you are wondering. <laughs> good point. Good point. I'm Clark <laughs> without the E and I get the E often. <laughs> and I get the, without the E anyway, there you go. there you go well we set the record straight there and how to spell your name (laughs) awesome well thank you so much for joining the podcast i've really enjoyed having you here as always um just enjoy chatting to my guests so thanks for joining us yeah thanks laurie look i really love the alignment um with our discussion today yeah it was awesome and for everyone listening at home whether you are driving the car cleaning the house whatever you're up to today eat well move well breathe well and until next time keep shining